Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. You guys are in for a huge, huge treat today. The one and only Maurice LaMarche will be joining me. Uh, a guy I've been trying to get, honestly, since day one, since I've been doing the podcast for almost five years now. He's finally on Saturday Morning Rewind, and wow, that's all I got to say. It's a great interview. You guys have a blast. Um, if you're listening right now, you don't know who Maurice is, you know, first of all, where have you been for the past 20-some-odd years? But here are a couple of clips of my favorite roles of his. Hope the chef pushes the mugu, Pinky, and plan for tomorrow night. Why? What are we going to do tomorrow night, Brain? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Dry off, and then try to take over the world. Very funny. Well, for your information, what happened last night was not just an earthquake. Will you listen to me? It was not a normal earthquake. I checked the line recorders. The psychic energy readings went off the scale. Of course, you just heard Brain from Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs, and also Egon from the real Ghostbusters. But he has voiced so many amazing characters. He was in Zootopia. He was in Inspector Gadget. He was in Frozen, the Looney Tunes show. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. He is a terrific voice actor and an amazing, amazing impressions You'll, and you'll definitely hear a lot of those impressions in the interview coming up shortly. But um, if this is your very first time listening to this podcast, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you'll hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Hope you leave some positive iTunes reviews. That would be amazing. And I think you should go back in our back catalog because we've interviewed probably most of your favorite voice actors, I would think. You know, Jim Cummings... Uh, Kevin Conroy, Rob Paulson, the late Joe Alasky was on just a couple years ago. We have Corey Burton. We have a two-hour interview with Corey Burton. We got some rare ones, too, like Carol Spinney. He does uh, Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. He's been doing it since 1969. We had Donnie Dunnigan, who was the original Bambi in the old Disney movie. We interviewed Lisa Henson just a couple months ago. She is the daughter of Jim Henson. So definitely go back, check out our older episodes because I think you'll enjoy it. And hopefully, you know, hopefully you like what you hear and subscribe. I'm, I'm still trying to get Frank Welker. It's so, so hard, but hopefully, hopefully at one point I'll get Frank. Of course, check us out online, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. And if you like what you hear and want to help out financially, we will take anything. I don't care if it's a penny. A penny is definitely better than nothing because we need to pay some bills here. All those links are on our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. But anyways, guys, I mean it. Maurice, thank you so much for coming on. It was a huge honor. And now here is my interview. Tim. Hey. Finally. <laughs> I'm all situated now. Good. And your voice yeah. sounds very beautiful and rested. 
Uh, you know what? It's still I'm still very much in the nose and the mask, uh, and uh, you know, there's still a bit of a soreness, soreness to swallow, but I'm on the upswing. So you know, we'll 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 do what we you know we'll do what we can, and we'll even make a little uh, you know uh, statement uh, that uh, that the voice actor's kryptonite is <laughs> common cold. Seriously, and, I mean, what what would happen if this lasted like a month. You'd have to like go on disability or something. Oh, I absolutely lost a job yesterday. Yesterday, I I lost a job. They could not wait for me, and they had to recast. Wow. Yeah, that's the that's only the second time that's happened in my whole career, where they just couldn't wait for me and they found a new guy. Um, <clears throat> yesterday was the drop dead recording day, and uh, you know, and and I just was not up to. Uh, not up to snuff, not able to make, and they were both gruff military voices for a video game, and um, I just knew I couldn't do it. And wow. yesterday was much worse than I was today. Yesterday was like sort of a crash burn of the whole arc, downward slope of a of, of a cold, and today I'm on, the, I'm on the uptick, but yeah. And, and the producer's a dear friend whom I've worked with for years and years and years, and um and she felt bad, and I felt bad, but there was nothing to do for it. Yeah, they got, they they have a deadline like everybody else does, so they have to move on. Yep, yep. So, uh, so it is what it is, you know. I'm uh, I'm lucky I've saved a few shekels, but, but it still <laughs> it still hurt to uh, let go of a job. Yeah, no kidding. Because I just can't get better fast enough. Now, this this may be like a, a silly question, but I don't think it is. Is there any way for you voice actors to like ensure your voice? As if if something happened to it, you would get some insurance money. Well, they're, they're, from what I hear, yes. Um, I, I've never gone and done it because it, it seems you know. I think only Lloyd's of London really will do that whole. I remember when I was a kid hearing that that Rich Little had insured his voice for a million dollars. Wow! And uh, when I was when I was little, a million dollars was a lot of money. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Now you can actually go through a million dollars in a few years. Now, when I was a kid, that was like, that's your rich, you're wealthy for the rest of your life. Uh, you can start a foundation and buy a mansion on a hill with a million dollars. You know, it's amazing what's happened to dollars just in my lifetime. I know. But, um, I mean, I, I bought a bag of apples at the grocery store. It cost me $20 for a bag of Envy apples. Good Lord. All right. Are we serious here? $20? <laughs> These things used to be 10 cents. <laughs> Twenty dollars for me because they're envies and they're very special. I don't know, but I almost put them back and I just said, "I'm all the way up here. All right, okay." And I love these apples, and you know, I'll do without like gourmet coffee this week or something. So <clears throat> it was very strange. But anyway, yes. So get that. I'm, I'm, you'll find as you talk to me, Tim, I can be a bit tangential. So <laughs> steer me back if I start going off on okay. like, you know pork bellies or something like that. Ooh, I'm pork bellies. Let's let's talk about pork bellies. <laughs> Of course, unless we're talking about Porky Pig's belly, then then it's relevant <laughs> to our topic of Saturday morning rewind. But um, you know, yeah, I was I, I, I've heard that you can Lloyd's of London will do you know body parts. Uh, you know, the, if the body part earns you something, they, they'll do policies mm -hmm. that uh, protect like, like hand hand models. Exactly. And, you know, that the people with you know that they're they're living in their hands. They can do. They'll do those kind of policies for those people that, uh, you know, if they lose work, if they crack up their hand in a. Obviously, there's there's all kinds of 
provisions too. You know, like like you know, you can't. Then if that's the case, you can't have a side job. You know, chopping wood or yeah. working a bandsaw yeah. in a in a in a metal shop or something. But um, yeah, so so uh, it's not something I've given a lot of thought to. Uh, but then you never know when something might strike. Exactly. All right, so I, you do some of the best impersonations that I've ever heard. Do you remember your very first impression that you ever did? Well, okay, very first impression that I ever did, ever, 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 was when I was a little kid. There was a there was a W.C. Fields impressionist um, in a commercial for something called Frosch by Fago. It was a... Um, it was a soft drink. It was one of the very first diet soft drinks in the 1960s. And you, you would just go, Frosh by Fago. <laughs> and I would walk around, and I was, you know, again, like under 10 years old, going, uh-huh. Frosh by Fago. But I just loved that, that I could alter the resonance of my voice and, and change the vocal tension and, 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 you know, send it more up into the, into the, you know, behind the uvula. Whatever I was doing, I seemed to know how to do it instinctively. The very first impression I ever got any accolades for, or I also used to do the the, um, the 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 buzzard, the kind of slow buzzard in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Like yes. That one, I was about five, where I just go, and I'd walk to school doing that, flapping my my <laughs> arms very slowly like that, like that buzzard, and they, they, the teachers wanted to send me to the school school shrink. You know, why does he do that? And they did, and they just, well, he just wants attention. He just wants attention. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, so just standard issue narcissism. So, um, anyway, but the first one I ever got any accolades for was, uh, was my my Peter Falk impression. Yes, and yes. This was in the schoolyard. The teacher, Mr. Fraser, had had schoolyard duty in uh, seventh grade. You know, everybody came home, came back to school for lunch. And like the first episode of Columbo had just aired the night before, and he was doing the impression for a couple of the, a couple of the little girls, my classmates, and because he was the funny teacher, you know, he was the one that you thought he was cool because he had a, had a cool sense of humor, and um, and uh, and so I don't know why I'd seen it too, and I just walked out to him, and I, I even crossed my, my one eye into the middle so it looked like I had a glass eye. And I went, yeah. Excuse me, Mr. Fraser, sir. I'm sorry to bother you, but. Uh, there's been a murder here. You're killing a Peter Falk impression. <laughs> and that was it. You know, I was off and running. The girls started giggling. And uh, Fraser went, wow, that was fantastic. Wow, you really did that well. And I just, you know, from there forward, just started trying to pick up all the impressions I could. It was kind of like Siler in Heroes. You know, just get yeah. sawing people's heads open and taking their superpowers. <laughs> so the next one on the list was Tony Curtis from uh, when he was on a show called The Persuaders. Uh, that's marvelous, wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, I just started accumulating voices. And then one day in like the middle of eighth grade, we just sat down and said, let's count all the voices you do. And, uh, you know, just me and a couple of my pals in study period instead of studying. And I had 30 voices. I couldn't believe it. I had 30 wow. voices, distinct and separate impressions that I did. Do you find that it helps to use like their mannerisms when you do their voices? Like you say, you do Peter Fox eye. Do you think it helps yeah. with impersonation? Physicalization definitely helps. And, and I didn't know whether that would be an asset or a drawback when I got into animation. Obviously, when I was doing stand-up comedy, it, it, yeah, you know, of course. I, as much as I could physicalize added to the entertainment 
uh, value of the impression. But when I got into um, voiceover, I thought, well, maybe everybody just sits there with their, you know, their hands on their on their knees and sits up straight, you know, like a choir or something, and just does the voices. But then I got into a room with Frank Welker, who, you know, literally, you know, just like a dervish in his chair, you know, and doing all of his characters and just gesturing. And I thought, well, all right, this is great. I can let loose. And uh, it was really great. Frank took me under his wing and just, you know, showed me all the all the ins and outs and the little tricks and, wow. uh, you know, mic technique and, and, you know, being unafraid to do characters. He was, he didn't know it, but he, he actually mentored me and, uh, and they were buddies to this day. Have you ever ran into a celebrity that you've impersonated and they actually recognized you? Uh, well, when, when I was doing Inspector Gadget with Don Adams, um, you know, as we went along, I you know finally felt confident enough to say, you know, you were one of my first impressions. I, I loved to get smart when I was a kid. And she said, all right, do me. And I said, Maxwell Smart, Secret Agent 86. Oh, you see, <laughs> now you hear the cold, right? I do, yeah. <clears throat> so um, anyway, I... Um, I did a little, a little bit of interviews. You know, I think up to now, Bill Dana. I always thought Bill Dana did me the best of anybody, but I think you might do me a little better than Bill. Wow. And what happened was uh, I actually got good at doing Don the way he just talks in a room, you know, because Maxwell Smart was like, that's, that's his impression of yeah. uh, William Powell. William Powell, the thin man. And, um, Don Astor, you know, and, 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 um, so I got good at, at listening to Don because Don would tell stories, and this was what made me fall in love with voiceover, by the way. I thought all of voiceover was you record two pages of dialogue, then you take a little break, and Don Adams tells a 10-minute long story about your favorite episodes of Get Smart. And then you record another two, episodes, two pages of dialogue, and Don tells you another story about <laughs> Don Rickles. You know, and he'd, he'd just get disling back. And I'll never forget the time that Rickles and I were chained to a wall, and we couldn't stop laughing. We tried to get the shot starting at 10 in the morning. At 1 o'clock, we broke for lunch. We still hadn't gotten the shot, so they left us chained to the wall. They came back from lunch. We were still laughing. You know, and so... It was great. It was great. Wow. I just thought this is like uh, you know we we didn't have like uh, Blu-rays and DVDs with special features exactly. and, and narrations and and all. But it, this was like that. This was like having Don Adams do like special features <laughs> on, on every question I ever had to get about Get Smart. Oh, was such <clears throat> I was such a huge fan of his work. He was an amazing, amazing guy. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually wanted to talk to you about the real Ghostbusters. I am such a huge fan of that show. Um, when you went into audition, what was that process like? Did you go in there thinking you're just going to give a Harold Ramis impersonation? Uh, no, no. In fact, we were told out front, uh, don't, don't do any impressions. Really? Don't do the people in the, in, in, in the movie because the sort of the timeline of the movie, of, of, of the show, it turned out, and we did an episode based on this, where the idea was that the movie was based on these guys. In other words, we're going to show you the real Ghostbusters, the ones that they made the movie about. So they looked different. They were off-model from Bill Murray, uh, Danny Aykroyd, and, and, and Harold Ramison. And yet Ernie Hudson was there to read for Winston, which yes. I always thought was sort of bizarre because they, 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 there were only two black guys there reading, Ernie and, and Arsenio Hall, and we never wow. got the job. And but at one point, Arsenio just looked at me, and we knew each other from stand-up, and he just looked at me and he mouthed the words, 
what the F am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I just shrugged. I said, I don't know. Go in there and do it, whatever. So uh, I, my, my, my thinking is probably that Ernie picked up another movie or something like that. I hope so. Um, so at any rate, it ended up being uh, Arsenio, Lorenzo Music, uh, Frank Welker, who did not do a Dan Aykroyd, and myself, but I froze when I got in the booth, and I actually I looked at the Egon that they had, with that giant sort of hostess ho ho in the middle of his you know hairdo, and I went, I I just nothing's coming. Like I just I look at a I look at a model sheet, and I can I can hear the voice talking to me. Mm-hmm. You know that's the way it was with Brain, on Pinky and the Brain, and 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 so many characters. I just I just let them talk to me, but nothing was coming back to me but Harold Ramis. And so I read it as Harold. I tried one very Poindextery voice that just was not working, almost Wally Cox-ish, you know, like underdog. Mm-hmm. And I just said, no, no, let's, 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 try, let's try this. And I read it as Harold. And when I got the call back, they said, nobody else is allowed to do impressions, but you can do it. <laughs> so oh, wow. I read, I read it again as Harold, and I tried to even make it more Harold-like. And... Um, they liked it. It worked. They said that there should be something that sort of has a, a, a continuity to the movie. So <clears throat> I went forward with that. And, and that was right on the heels of Gadget, and it was the same company, Deke Entertainment. And, um, you know, I, I, owe, I, owe, I owe it all to Marsha Goodman, who cast me first in, in The Littles for Deke, and then, and then uh, Gadget, and then into uh, Real Ghostbusters. Um, she was sort of the first person to see me as somebody who could do this kind of work, and uh, you know, I immediately went into like multiple hundred and you know hundred and fifty episode kind of run with her, and uh, you know, I, I, I owe her my career, truly do. Wow, I know that um, Bill Murray at one point came out and said that he wasn't too satisfied that Garfield was doing his voice on the cartoon. You know, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you that I, I, I mean, I was there for that, and okay. and, and it wasn't that Bill Murray, you know, said anything mean or tried to sabotage Lorenzo music. It was a very, and, and they, I think they regretted it later later on. It was a very offhanded remark at a party, and all Bill said was, "Hey, how come Harold's guy sounds like him and my guy sounds like Garfield?" Like, okay. Like, couldn't have been more tossed off. Yeah, yeah. It was not a thing at all. <clears throat> but people began falling all over themselves because he was one of the biggest stars in the world. He, he had, you know, actually actual box office, you know, draw to him. To, to they figured, oh, we've got to make Bill happy. And I think, you know, I don't I think I don't think Bill meant anything by it. And uh, but yeah, Lorenzo was out and Coulier was in because Coulier did a hell of a good Bill Murray impression. Yeah, he did. You know, the good news is that that Lorenzo, well, he's I, I know his his feelings were hurting. He, he loved working together as a unit with us. Um, the, uh, he, 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 you know, he by no means was a guy who was going to go broke by not being Peter in the real mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. He had created two hit sitcoms when, in his days as a writer with, you know, the Tyler Moore company. So he'd created Rhoda and he'd created the Bob Newhart show. So he was, you know, kind of set for life. Anyway, oh, for sure. Financially. So it's not like he was like, oh, I needed that money. <laughs> you know, plus he went on to be Garfield and, uh, you know, which came actually afterwards. And you know, became quite iconic in that role. So you know, it was. Uh, but it was. I was sad to, to to not be working with Lorenzo anymore. He was. He was a mentor. I was as well. And I would love to talk to him about writing. And, the, and he actually said one of the 
one of the most valuable things I ever learned, ever heard, because I had a lot of, as we all do when we first start out, a lot of misconceptions and illusions about what it is to be in show business. I said to him once on a break, Lorenzo, do you miss the power of being a big TV producer? He goes, what power? I'd be in my office and some wardrobe girl would come in and hold up two dresses. And she'd say, should Valerie wear the red dress or the blue dress? <laughs> and I'd look and go, I don't know, the blue dress. <laughs> That's the power. You know what real power is, Maurice? Real power is what I'm doing now. The power of my performance, the power of my voice to entertain people to get into their homes and bring them a laugh. That's real power. I'm doing something powerful right now. And I never forgot that, and I never felt like, you know, a second-class citizen because I was, quote-unquote, only doing voiceover work. Because a guy like Lorenzo Music, who, you know, hit the pinnacle in, in the big TV business, the sitcom game, <laughs> was happier doing voiceover work than, than running, show-running two hit sitcoms at once. Wow, I love that story. That's amazing. Yeah. I, Lorenzo, I was such a huge fan of his work and somebody I've never met, never talked to, and always wish I could have before he passed. Yeah, he was <clears throat> he was terrific. We had the same agent uh, later on, so I'd always see him in the in the waiting room for auditions. I was always amazed that they made Lorenzo audition because Lorenzo gave you Lorenzo. <laughs> exactly. And and you know, if you didn't want Lorenzo, don't don't. And so, but why make him read? You know who Lorenzo is. Uh huh. But, Sure enough, he 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 was he was always there and willing to read and just you know just he just saw it as as what it is. It's uh, it's it's a career we're all lucky to be in. It's all just doing good work. Mm -hmm. Do good work. Yep. What's he's a hell of a guy. Very spiritual guy too. Was he? I and, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Very spiritual, and um, you know, not in a not in a hokey kind of you know kind of uh, you know just buying anything he came along. He had his own his own practice, his own faith, but he did, you know, he saw, he saw that there was deeper meanings to things. Nice. And uh, just, a, just a great guy, deep guy. Nice. Well, let's fast forward just a little bit to two of the greatest cartoons of all time. Of course, you probably know what I'm about to bring up, Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that's high praise indeed, considering the thousands of cartoons that have been made. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm not lying. They, I mean, they, and they still hold up. They're actually probably better now that I'm an adult and understand all of the jokes now? <laughs> well, they were written that way. Uh -huh. That was absolutely Tom Ruger's and Peter Hastings and, and all the writing staff. Um, you know, and, and Steven Spielberg at the helm, he, he recognized what was great about the old wartime Warner Brothers cartoons and in the 50s forward um, with Chuck Jones. He said he wants these to be shows that the kids and the parents can watch and there's something in it for both of them. Mm -hmm. You know, with Pinky and the Brain... The idea was the kids will love Pinky and all of his goofy silly this is goofy silliness, and the adults will love the brain with all of his snide, curmudgeonly remarks. And the kids will laugh at getting bopped on the head with the pencil, and the adults will laugh at what he says before, at what Brain says before he bops Pinky on the head with the giant pencil. So, with the we you know we hoped that the the shows would still be around years and years later, and now here it is that the little kids who watched Pinky and the Brain. I now have kids of their own, and now that it's streaming on Netflix, or Animaniacs is at least, mm -hmm. uh, with segments still having Pinky and Brain in them, um, they're, they're getting the 
jokes as you are. They're going, oh, I never, I never, re- oh, I never realized what the Donner Party was, <laughs> <laughs> or the or the you Prince know. scene where they had to uh, find fingerprints. Fingerprints, yes. And how the hell I, I we, we still marvel to this day that these censors were. seriously. And what about what about Brain? When you sat in there and looked at the at the model, did you think, oh, it looks like Orson Welles? I'm going to do that voice. That's exactly right. Really, exactly right. I had never met Tom Minton before. Um, he was based on Tom Minton, not on Arsene Welles. Okay. Uh, Tom Minton and Eddie Fitzgerald were two uh, writers that hung out together. At uh, they were Hanna Barbera together, and then, and then later on at Warner Brothers, they'd been brought on board to do this Animaniacs thing, and and um, they were just sort of an odd couple. You know, Tom was very low key and very bright, and uh, you know had a lot of esoteric knowledge. They spoke in a sort of a very quick and flat monotone. And Eddie was very energetic, but not at all English. But uh, he, when he pitched a show, he would throw in sound effects. So whenever he pitched an episode, he would say, and then, and then so-and-so would get hit on the head, boink, like that, and, <laughs> then, and then they'd just bonk. And, and so um, they decided to give that to Pinky, you know, that little, that little, little exclamations uh-huh. point and all that. So, um, but I, yeah, that's exactly right. I looked at Brain and saw that scowl, and I was going, oh, they've drawn Orson Welles here. Cause they, <laughs> they know that I love to do the, the Orson Welles Frozen Peas outtake tape uh, whenever there's a sound check. You know, they, people will, want, will come, you know, say a few lines of dialogue in their characters. And I would always, whenever it landed on me, they'd say, Malcolm here. I'd just go, we know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. And they go, all right, now do it in the character. And then I'm going to do you know, whatever silly character I was doing. So I just thought, oh, well, they, 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 got the, they finally got it that I do a great Orson Welles, and they, <laughs> they've created this character for me. How great. And so I just read the thing as Orson Welles, and, and Andrea Romano and Tom Ruger uh, were, in the, um, were in the booth, and they just went, oh, we never thought of that. That's perfect for a megalomaniac. They cast me on the spot. I did the first audition of the day. Wow. And... And I, I, mean, I, I grabbed that one, I grabbed the brain, and squit the pigeon. But I read for everything else. I read for Yakko and Wacko. Okay. And, and, and read for, uh, you know, the, 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 the hippopotamuses. And, you know, um, I, I took, a, took a whack at everything. They were, they were having everybody who had been on Tiny Toons and who had shown them what, uh, you know, what they can do. Uh, and, and they wanted, like, a sort of, you know, family feel to it you know bringing back everybody they've worked with yeah all right so i got i got one more i don't want to take too much of your time i got you have to rest your voice and also one question comes from a listener a fan of ours she casey wants to know how would you take over the world how would i (laughs) you yourself yeah well my dear casey i don't know if you've noticed or not but that's trump bot that's out there right now it's directly under my control yes <laughs> I love that. We yes. gotta laugh because otherwise we'll cry. I, I mean, know. Listen, the half the country is, is, thinks this is great, and the other half is, you know, going, "What happened?" So I'm not going to tell you which side of this I fall on politically, but oh, I know. You know, whatever. <laughs> All <laughs> as right. The old, as they used to say on 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 Hollywood Squares, I would have gone with Paul Lynn for the block, but let's see how this works out. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a quite interesting four years, maybe a few months. We'll, we'll see what happens. 
you know, there, there's an ancient Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> yes. Well, here we are. Yes. Thank exactly, you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, Maurice, thank you so much for coming on. Can Tim, I, can thank I, you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Can I get you to end the interview as Brain and as Egon? Tim, my friend, when I take over the world, you shall be spared. Yes. And Tim, I want you to help me collect some spores, mold, and fungus. Let's get together this weekend. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.